Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. Welcome to Politics Weekly Extra. I'm Jonathan Friedland. This week, the news moves once again to one of its favourite topics in America, namely Donald Trump. That's because there is the big tribal gathering of the Republican right. CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, is meeting in Florida. And the star guest, so we are told, is going to be none other than the former president. The talk is that he's going to anoint himself at that conference as the nominee for 2024, almost putting a marker down, daring anyone else to challenge him. A lot of Republicans, I'm sure, will step forward and say that's great, but there will be a group who will say no way, that this is not what they want and that this is cannot be the future for the Republican Party. That group of dissident, disaffected Republicans took some form earlier this month when word emerged of a Zoom call featuring a whole lot of disenchanted, disaffected, anti-Trump Republicans. And the convener of that group was a man called Evan McMullen. Significance of him is that he ran for president against Trump, in effect, in 2016 as an independent conservative. He made quite a few waves back in 2016, partly because he did very well in his home state of Utah, getting 25% of the vote, which was, by the standards of most third-party candidates, really high. He did well there, partly because he's from Utah, he's a Mormon, like a lot of the state's population and elected representatives. And in a way, you could have thought that was that, that he would be an interesting footnote to the 2016 campaign. But he's back in the news Partly because earlier in February, he convened on Zoom a group of disaffected, disenchanted Republicans to talk about next moves, where now. And in that word of that meeting leaked, and there was a lot of talk about perhaps a new party for those disaffected, anti-Trump Republicans. I've been wanting for a while, certainly since that Zoom meeting came to light, to talk to Evan McMullen. And so we did that. And I began by asking him about his own backstory, because one of the intriguing things about Evan McMullen, besides the fact that he worked on Capitol Hill for a lot of senior Republicans, is that he was, in a previous life, an officer of the Central Intelligence Agency. My experience, it's a big organization, just like the US military, it does various things. But my experience was working working against uh, uh, you know terrorist organizations that wanted to destroy Western democracy, not only American democracy, but Western democracy, and also working against uh, foreign uh, dictators who uh, abused their people and and also challenged uh, freedom in the West. And, and I became very familiar with the danger of these regimes and and understood on a deep 
level, fairly deep level, how they operated, why they did certain things and how to counter them. And so when I saw Donald Trump rising through the Republican primaries in 2016, that among other reasons, personal reasons, some of that having to do with my, my faith and, and, and other issues, led me to understand the danger that he posed. And, and that's how someone like me ends up you know, jumping into the pro-democracy, the work of defending and promoting American and other democracies, because I, I understood the authoritarian threat that had uh, arrived on our shores. I mean, uh, you, and we'll get to the phone call, the Zoom call in a minute, but why? since you've mentioned your faith there, it interests me that you know, you did have this bid for the presidency as an independent conservative in 2016. You polled 25%, quite a decent share in your home state of Utah. It strikes me that Mitt Romney also was a very early critic of Donald Trump, that he was somehow offended by Trump. Is there something about Mormons and Mormonism that found themselves and found itself particularly antithetical to Donald Trump? I think there is. And it's a fair question. Uh, you know, we, we ran a very brief campaign. I, many of your listeners may not be aware of that, but our, our campaign was only three months long. Seemed a lot longer, but it was <laughs> only three months. You know, I, I was an, an unknown uh, on the American political scene. I had been a, a senior staffer on Capitol Hill in the House of Representatives working with Republicans. And uh, so we had none of the things you need to run a, a real, uh, a credible presidential campaign with potential. Uh, it was an emergency campaign. We hoped somebody else would do what I did. And only when no one stepped forward to do it, did I agree to do it myself. But to your question, look, you know, part of our history in, in my faith in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is, is one of, of persecution. Our early members were were persecuted uh, by government-backed violent mobs and run out of towns and people were, you know, killed. And, and that's a history that, that is still very close to, to us and um, our psyches um, and our understandings of our, ourselves and our, our country. The other thing I would say is that we can empathize also with other minorities who are attacked by a demagogue. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a, it's a big issue. So when, uh, you know, Donald Trump started attacking minorities and, or women or members of certain faiths to us, you know, uh, to many of us, red flags went up immediately. So tell us about that zoom call, who was on it and what, what the purpose of it was. Right. So, you know, it was a, it was a call that was, it was a gathering that was meant to be private. It was a, a, a very uh, beginning step in, in, uh, you know, gathering some of the most of the leading principled Republican political and intellectual leaders in, in our country. Uh, most of them uh, very well known in, inside America and, and some of them outside of America. We intended to hear their views on on what uh, you know, what needed to happen. Uh, did we need to create something new in in response to the last four or five years and and the violent insurrection on January sixth? And so we had that discussion, and of course it became public. and And now that private discussion, although it continues also in private as well, it is also spilled out into the public sphere. And maybe that's the way it should be. 
you know, we continue to consider whether uh, we should create something new, either a, a, you know, a faction or an alliance inside the Republican Party, or perhaps one that operates more independently of the Republican Party. Or should we start a, a new party altogether? Or is it something in between? And you did have some some big hitters there, former officials from the two Bush administrations, from the Reagan administration, people had been elected, even some former officials from the Trump administration. So these were sort of dissident Republicans appalled by the Trump presidency and, and particularly by the uh, attempted insurrection on January the 6th. Just give us a sense of the of the arguments, as it were, for the two approaches that you've mentioned there. What What is the, those who were making the case for forming a new party? What was the case they made? Well, we did a straw poll uh, uh, near the end of, of the discussion, and uh, we asked uh, our participants a range of questions. But one of them was, should we create a, a new party or a new faction? And if, if a new faction, should it be inside the Republican Party strictly or should it operate more independently? Uh, and 40% thought we should start a new party, that that should be the next step. 43% thought that we rather we should start with a, a faction. Um, but to answer your question about those who argued for a new party, the, the basic argument is that the Republican Party, as they say, can't be reformed uh, anytime soon. And we're simply not wanted inside the Republican Party in any case. And meanwhile, the, the health of the republic is, is at stake. We, if, as long as we remain a, a two-party system, or even if it were a three-party system with three major parties or two major parties as it is now, we can't tolerate one of those parties being an anti-democracy party. And, and that's the, the Republican Party collectively is moving in that direction if it, if it hasn't simply become that. And that's their argument. And set against them were those people who felt, look, the, the, the battle is not yet lost. Stay and fight. Do it from within. Because in a two-party system, it's just all, uh, historically been a dead end to try and form a third party. Better to fight for the Republican Party and, and win from within. Is that broadly a summary of what they were arguing? Yes, yes. I mean, look, I mean, I, we have had third parties before. The Republican Party is itself, uh, you know, once was a, a third party. And it's you could say it's the most successful, quote unquote, third party in American history. Since then, it's been very difficult for third parties. Uh, we do have a very entrenched two party system, which I would like to change, by the way. But for now, uh, that that entrenched system gives any party that that really goes off the reservation and becomes a danger to to the country. It gives uh, any such party a chance to recover because these two major parties that we have, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, they don't face existential threats, which, by the way, leads to, uh, you know, enables extremism in both parties, if you ask me. Whereas if we were in a, a European parliamentary system and say there were multiple parties uh, and parties faced uh, the threat of complete defeat, that would create a scenario, I think, where um, A, we could probably more easily start a third party that would replace the Republican Party, but also B, the Republican Party would have more of an incentive not to go down the path that it is currently going down. Will all senators now rise and raise their right hand? Do you solemnly swear that in all things appertaining to the trial of the impeachment of Donald J. 
John Trump, former president of the United States, now pending. You will do impartial justice according to the Constitution and laws. So help you God. The question in a way that comes to mind, given everything that's happened just in 2021, particularly with the events of January the 6th and the attempted insurrection, is why hasn't the split inside the Republican Party already happened? I mean, this is a fascinating debate you're having about now tactically, whether you're better outside or inside. But how come the Trump presidency, which, you know, listeners to this podcast will know, rode roughshod really over the Constitution, over democratic norms, but even if you put that to one side, the actual attempted insurrection, a huge number, a, you know, overwhelming number of Republicans voted to both oppose the certification of uh, Joe Biden's election, but also to oppose his uh, Donald Trump's impeachment. And then over in the Senate, just seven Republican senators uh, were so appalled by what he'd done that they voted to convict him of those charges. I'm just thinking if even those events, which happened right under their noses in the in their workplace, didn't appall Republicans enough to break then, then in a way, isn't this kind of a lost cause? If it's not happened already, it's not going to happen. Of course, these things don't happen overnight. As much as uh, as much as someone like me want, might want them to, the reality is that not everyone ap- approaches these issues and these events in the same way. And there's persuasion that needs to happen over time. And it's just, it's a, it's a fight. It's not easy, but that's just the way it is. Now, why this split doesn't happen also, you know, you have those of us uh, who desire a new direction for the party. Some of us think that, look, you know, this is our party and we're not going to just give it up to an uh, anti-democracy movement that has taken it over. We're not, as long as this is a two-party system, you know, this is our party. We're not giving it to you. And even if we're in the minority, we're going to continue to fight for it. On their part, they're thinking, we control this party now. You don't. It's our party. So why should we leave? So I think both sides are looking at each other in that way. But I I think the other important thing to to recognize, again, is that we're a two-party system and I think if we were a multi-party system, I don't think this dynamic would exist. I think you would have seen a break already of them or of us, and then we would just compete directly on equal footing and, and off we would go. It's less about sort of, um, for some of us, a, a religious or you know deep tribal connection to any party and not to the Republican Party. It's more just a recognition of right now we're a two-party system. Um, the Republican Party is a vehicle that is important for for um, for for you know leadership in in the country as the as the Democratic Party is, and uh, and it, it's controlled by one group at, at one time and and hopefully by another group in another you know another year another month, and and we're fighting for control of 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 this particular vehicle uh, at least for now. Yeah, so that says to me that in the argument, Evan McMullen, that was going on within uh, that Zoom call, you're you're of in the camp that says stay within and fight uh, for the the ownership of the Republican Party rather than you know decamping and starting a whole new venture. I think I'm more persuaded by the idea that it's not an either or question, given the way our system works. I think you could envision uh, a national faction, for example, that has its own brand and its own principles, its own policy positions uh, that that uh, supports good Republicans uh, through elections uh, and that challenges and, and works to defeat uh, those who are on the anti-democracy side of the party. 
um, a, a faction that supports also viable independent candidates and even you know Democrats if if they're challenged by Republican extremists in general elections. But in certain states where the Republican Party has become so extreme that it's become effectively a third party, meaning that the Democrats and then the unaffiliated voter class are both larger than registered Republicans in those states and in states where it's easy, relatively easy to establish a new party and where the electoral systems are create permissive electoral environments for uh, for a third party. Uh, it may make sense for us to organize in those places as an actual new party, um, even though we may not do that in every state. Uh, it, we may nationally be a, a faction, uh, but organized under the same brand more formally, again, as a party in certain states where it makes sense. If the vast majority of Republican voters felt the way you do, that they were repelled by what Donald Trump represented, then they would simply demand that the people who represent them uh, in the House or in the Senate or at governor level change course. The problem, surely, is that they are not appalled and not repelled by what they've seen. And therefore, those you know, 43 uh, Republican senators who backed Donald Trump, refused to convict him, Mitch McConnell, all the rest of them, they're basically taking their lead from, you know, 75 million Americans who, despite everything they'd seen, still voted for Donald Trump. Doesn't that mean that is the big problem here, that basically they are, they're okay with the way Donald Trump behaves? It's not exactly that those people who are still supportive of Donald Trump's role uh, in the party um, are on board with that kind of activity. I think many are, and I'll come to that in a second. But the other thing to understand is that Republicans are, are, are being overwhelmed with disinformation. Their, their political information space is an alternative uh, reality that they've relied on for decades and, and now more than ever, I would say in the past as well, but now more than ever, it is a sea of lies. And that is a serious challenge that we face. I think you know, if, if people, we need to bring people out of that disinformation bubble, help them understand truth and reality. And then I think many more would, would share a closer view of things, uh, to, to the one that I have and that, that those who I, I, my colleagues, those who I work with have, but I will acknowledge also that there is a segment I think of, of Republicans that, I think believes that um, the country should be guided by a, a certain faith tradition, by frankly Christianity. That in some, I think there, there's a, for some a racial undertone to, to that uh, you know, about you know whiteness. They believe that that is so critical to the identity of the country, and they see the they see the country changing. Uh, in such a way that they think threatens the identity of the America they've understood. And they uh, they think it's more important to defend that kind of America than it is to defend an America driven by our values and committed to a, a democratic republic as a system of self-government. That's the most difficult segment, I think, for, for us to reach, and the most work needs to be done there. Just on that point about Sea of Lies uh, and the alternative information universe, a lot of uh, the people who continue to support Donald Trump inhabit, would your efforts be better directed, Evan McMullen, if you 
didn't uh, form a political faction or party, but actually set about a new, you know, TV network to oppose Newsmax and the One American News Network and Fox, which do live in a way in that alternative information bubble. Rather than forming a new political group, maybe you need to get on the air or have a news website that speaks to those conservatives with facts rather than lies. I, I think one challenge is that that would very much be developmental work. And what I mean by that is that I don't think the audience is there right now to uh, create, frankly, the the profit incentive for traditional investors in, in something like that. So you would really need to find uh, a, a group of, of philanthropists who were committed to, who saw the problem for, for what it is and, and committed to investing in such an enterprise uh, for the, the the good of the country. And I think they perhaps exist uh, out there, uh, but, but certainly that I think that's an idea that has a lot of validity. Now this week, Donald Trump is reported to be planning to address CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, when it meets in Florida to declare that he is the Republicans' presumptive nominee for 2024, almost like a Shakespearean king putting the crown on his own head. Uh, but that's his plan. If he goes ahead and says that, and indeed if he does continue to be the de facto leader of the Republican Party, do you think then that puts the onus on you and your colleagues to have your own, in effect, conservative, independent conservative, anti-Trump nominee in place to run against him in 2024? Uh, not necessarily. I, I think our, look, if, if, if the Republicans nominate Donald Trump again, which I hope they don't, because I, I think there are other better leaders for the party and for the country, you know, in a two-year period, Donald Trump lost the House of Representatives twice. His party lost the House of Representatives twice, uh, the Senate once, and the White House. I mean, it's just, it's it's a remarkable uh, track record of electoral loss in a brief period of time. You're going to get tired of winning, he said. Do you remember that? Right, right, exactly. And he's convinced a lot of people that somehow they they still, in all of those losses, have been winning, even though they they don't control, you know, any part of the two major branches, uh, uh, political branches of, of our federal government. And I think those of us uh, who are working uh, on some of the things that we've been discussing, we will ensure that that loss happens once again. I think we would hope to see a, a unifying Democratic candidate. And we, we had that in, in the last cycle in, in Joe Biden. And obviously, we have policy differences with him. But he was somebody who, who was committed to, the, to preserving the republic and, and ran a unifying campaign, even when it was difficult to do. At the presidential level, I think the most likely scenario is that if the Republicans nominate Trump again, um, we will uh, work to help the Democrats nominate uh, a unifying figure, whether it's Joe Biden or, you know, if, if, if he decides it's not him, then, you know, then whoever it is. See, I can, I can really follow that logic, especially if it is Joe Biden, because as you say, principled conservatives, uh, as you would describe yourself, uh, found it easy to fall in behind Joe Biden. But he'll be 82 then. I'm just thinking anybody else. I can't. I, I, tell me who among Democrats you could imagine people, self-described principled conservatives, Republicans, could fall in behind on, on the Democratic side 
apart from Biden, surely that was what made him almost a unique figure. It did make him a unique figure, and and but but I would add that th- there are many Democrats who are capable of unifying the country, and look, I would I would encourage them as as a part of the the cross partisan democracy coalition in America to continue to lead in a unifying way, and and I think those of us who are disaffected Republicans, we acknowledge that, you know, we don't really have great representation in, in the government uh, right now. We have people like Mitt Romney and Adam Kinzinger in the House and, and others who, who represent us. But, you know, it's, we're a modest faction now and we have modest representation. So we understand that if it, if it takes another unifying Democrat to beat again, uh, a, a, an anti-democracy movement and candidate from, from the Republican side, uh, that we, you know, we again won't be perfectly represented in the White House, um, but at least we will preserve the Republic. And that's what I think Republicans who don't yet understand us need to understand. And that is that we are committed first to uh, the the preservation of self-governance in America and to uh, the continued commitment to our founding values, namely that we are all created equal and free and that we will put that above all else. Evan McMullen, Executive Director of Stand Up Republic. Thanks so much for joining me for such an interesting conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And that is all from me for this week. Next week, as I take the odd week off here and there, you're in for a treat as my colleague Raphael Baer steps in behind the mic. So do make sure to listen into that. As always, I suggest you also listen back to Wednesday's episode of Politics Weekly, where Jessica Elgott breaks down the latest lockdown exit roadmap for England and looks ahead to next week's budget. And for anyone who hasn't yet heard it, our sister podcast Today in Focus produced a fantastic five-part miniseries about the Freshwater Five, a group sentenced to, collectively, 104 years in jail for a crime they say they didn't commit. It's a genuine thriller, so make sure to listen. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Danielle Stevens. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Please stay safe, and thanks, as always, for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. A third of students are less than happy about their university choice. New research by EY has revealed. The findings suggest that a digital rethink is essential to meet the expectations of students and staff. Universities can address this by putting the needs of the people they serve at the heart of their digital strategies. Learn more about the future of human-centered higher education at theguardian.com forward slash transforming higher education. This message was paid for by EY.